Well, welcome everyone to the Robin Walters Show. God bless you today. A lot to pack in as always. I did want to let you know before we launched here that uh, we have people that are listening, greater number all the time, to the Sunday morning program with Robin Walter. And uh, if you're getting it or want to get it via podcast, you certainly can. You can just type in in your podcast thing, Sunday morning with Robin Walter. Uh, on the webpage, you'll have a choice. Uh, which one that you want, but also if, if you are wanting maybe a an email delivery of the program, we have a blast email list which uh, goes out obviously uh, right away. And let me know at redskyradio seven 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 at gmail dot com. That's redskyradio seven 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 at gmail dot com or Robin Walters Show at gmail dot com. If you would like to receive it via email, and you will get. Uh, the blast, so to speak. So it's another way to get it. All right, let's launch. I promised to launch with good news. I will always do that, some sort of good news. And I'm going to start lighter and get a little bit heavier as usual. But gosh, isn't that life? You start out lighter and you get a little bit heavier as things go on. Well, anyway, forget those analogies. Uh, I'm not a big baseball fan. I don't dislike it. I played it growing up, but I never liked it uh, as an adult, because it just is too doggone slow. Uh, Four-hour games and, you know, pitchers taking forever and fiddling with their hat, their pants, their you name it, the batter stepping in and out of the batter's box. The new rules have helped speed the game up, and I like it better. But there are 30 major league teams. So where, where is the good news in all this, 30 major league baseball teams? It's because there is only one team. Out of 30 teams, only one that has ignored Major League Baseball promotion of Pride Night, Queer Night, at which the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ activists come out in an attempt and on conjunction and partnership with Major League Baseball to attempt to normalize their alternative sexual lifestyle, which God calls an abomination, gross sin, and uh, we could go on and on, but we're not going to with that. So the, there's a question here. So when are there rewards of the righteous? When do the rewards of the righteous get dispersed? Well, first of all, we know they're dispersed in heaven. That's a no-brainer. Sometimes those rewards are dispersed and distributed on earth. And number three, sometimes those rewards on earth come, but they come after a long, long wait. So how does this relate to Major League Baseball? I know you're still wondering. The fact of the matter is the only team in Major League Baseball, only one that's refused to bow down to the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ agenda, the only team that has refused to ever hold a single queer night celebration is the Texas Rangers, the ones who won the World Series. 
And it is the first championship for this team, this franchise, which has been faithful and not pushing queer crap. This first championship in their franchise history, which is 63 years in the making. 63 years. So good things do come. Sometimes you have to wait a long time, but they do come. They definitely will come in heaven. Sometimes they'll come on earth. You might just have to wait for them uh, a period of time. Uh, Number two, uh, I'll make this fast. Uh, Minnesota lawsuit to keep Trump off the ballot hit the rocks. Uh, That's dumped. And uh, all that's all need to be said about that. Number three, good story. The main shooting, Hamas terror, and all of those things. Bad news? Of course it's bad news. Where is the silver lining in this? Guns are flying off the shelf in the United States like crazy. A lot of them, uh, needless to say, are Jews who are finally buying guns, and they probably read the story about after the Hamas savage genocide I guess that's redundant, isn't it? All genocide is savage. That all these citizens living of, of Israel living near Gaza that were disarmed because they couldn't own them, the government distributed over 10,000 um, BB guns. No, AR-15s is what they distributed to over 10,000 uh, soldiers. No, civilians. They realize civilians need to be armed. I don't know how many times the Jews need to learn this because they choked up and forfeited their arms in World War II. But every 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 generation or couple generations has to learn that there are beasts in the world. The Palestinians are beasts. Sorry, they are. They just are. And to prove this, I, I, I know I'm digressing a bit from the good news. No, let me finish the good news. I'll get back to that. So this is the 51st month, 51 months in a row that firearm sales in the United States has exceeded 1 million per month. Get yours while you can. Get a bunch of them where you can transfer them legally, use them as stocking stuffers. Well, wherever. However, but anyway... And some have said, gosh, there's not enough ammo over there. Maybe the, is the federal government buying the ammo? And who, no, the ammo shortage is simply due to the fact that a lot of people are buying guns. More people have guns than ever, and they're loading up on ammo because they want to be ready for when the, the n- nearest whack job, bonkers, Hamas, Palestinian-supporting terrorists who are all about violence come to a town near you. And you need to protect yourself, your family. Who cares about what Joey Biden says? In the in, we've got these Hamas attacks, the brutalization and savagery against Israel, and then he introduces a task force to combat Islamophobia. Look, this is pretty pretty basic, but Joey is such a dork he can't get it. Or maybe he can. He's just somebody else is moving his lips. You don't have to be anti, all right, I don't like Islam, right? It's a a false religion. And they're brutal in the way that the radicals enforce it. 
or try to impose it. Let me put it that way. But just because, well, how do I say this? I mean, because it, 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 it doesn't make any natural sense. But just because you're against anti-Semitism doesn't mean that you need an, a pro-Islamic task force to counterweight that. There aren't pe- you can identify people who have no religious background at all. And they couldn't give a rip whether you're Jewish or Islamic or Baha'i faith or you belong to the global climate change cult, which is America's official government religion. They couldn't care less, actually. But just because you may be supportive of Israel defending itself doesn't mean you're categorically anti-Muslim. Although... I don't think it has a place, in the, certainly in America, and they're attempting to take it over. And anybody in Congress, like the squad and the others, that are so supportive of Palestinian whack jobs, not one single one of which should come to the United States, shows you the size of the foothold that it's established. But people are going to have to defend themselves. So this is good news. Get yours while you can. But learn how to use it safely. Learn how to use it legally how to clean it, how to do all the things necessary to proper firearm ownership, including training. Next piece of good news. I, You know, I love the nation of Israel. And I've shared this before is because I had an anti-Semitic strain in me before I got gloriously saved many, many moons ago. It's radical, so radically saved, just short of Paul's conversion, in my opinion that I look to uh, see about joining the IDF to kind of as a payback to uh, something I owed Israel. Sort of like, you know, I mean, Paul, who hated Christians, became obviously the advocate for Christians. And sometimes that which is your cardinal sin, when you become a Christian, becomes your car- your main motivating factor. If for no other reason than to maybe right the wrongs that you've done, felt, spoken, whatever. You come out as strongly in favor of that which you were against before or vice versa once you become a Christian. Does God need us to do that? Probably not, but maybe we just need to do it for ourselves. I did. So I have loved the nation of Israel. I don't think that they are without sin. In fact, there's an enormous amount of gross sin, which we covered uh, a few weeks ago when I indicated that this attack on Israel was largely as a result of its continuous repentance, uh, unrepentant sin regarding now what has captured the nation, which is abortion and pro-queer this, pro-queer that, tranny this, tranny that. They're marching down the same path that they did uh, multiple times as revealed in the Old Testament. But that's not our job to spank them. The spanking comes from God. So... Netanyahu the other day gave a speech, and I'm just going to read from this speech because it is that excellent. And Amalek was a nation that dwelled uh, in Canaan when the children of Israel came in. They had escaped from the slavery of Egypt. That's in the book of Exodus. And Moses tells the people in his final speech before he dies, and they enter the land of Israel, 
to remember Amalek. And so this is from God to Moses, Moses to the people. Remember Amalek and to eliminate Amalek from the world. So now let me read you Netanyahu's speech from the other day, which did not make it on any mainstream news. You can find it in a few places. Um, anyway, you won't need to. Here, here you go. The, the, the essence of it. He said, quote, warriors, soldiers, all the dear security forces, representatives of the people and the state, the foundation of the existence of the millennia-old nation of Israel is the constant struggle for our lives and freedom. Since time immemorial, we have struggled with bitter enemies who rose up against us to destroy us. When we are equipped with the strength of spirit and the righteousness of our path, we stood resolutely against those who sought to destroy our souls. The current fight against Hamas murders is another chapter in the story of national struggle for generations. Remember what Amalek did to you. It's interesting. Okay, I just got to stop here. This is Netanyahu invoking the passage from Deuteronomy 25:17, where God tells Moses to remember what Amalek did to you, that he did not welcome you. And God's word to him, and I didn't read from that passage, was that Amalek needs to be eliminated from the world. Okay, go check it out. God's word. Is it God's word or not? Yeah, eliminate Amalek from the world, which has not been done. So you see the direction I'm going here. He said, are we constantly remember the rights I'm sorry, the sites of the horrible massacre on October 7th. Before our eyes stand our brothers and sisters who were murdered, wounded, kidnapped, beheaded, the fallen of the IDF and the security forces. In their name and on their behalf, we embarked on a campaign, the purpose of which is the destruction of the cruel and murderous enemy Hamas-ISIS, the return of our abductors and I'm sorry, abductees. i got to get that straight. The return of our abductees and the return of security to our country, our citizens, and our children. This is the war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. Now, this is a reference back to Amalek again. We will not let up on our mission until the light overcomes the darkness. The good will defeat the extreme evil that threatens us and the entire world. Dear IDF soldiers and soldiers of the security forces, wherever you are on land, air, and sea, in the assembly areas and in the depths of the terrains, in the intelligence, armament, logistics, and medical services, new pages in Israel's history are being written by your hands. Your courage, your devotion to the goal, and your courage uh, are true, largely, truly, and hugely inspiring. All of you are descendants of the chains of heroes who did not hesitate and did not retreat. Joshua, Deborah, the prophetess, King David, 
I just got to stop. I love this speech. Israel, the Jews, do not let history die. Yes, through inefficient, uh, less faith-filled leaders, they end up having to repeat it like everybody else because they haven't learned from it. And they don't seem to know that some of their social sins are at the cause of this invasion. But nonetheless, you've got a righteous leader here. You can only do so much. But he said, our heroes, the chain of heroes who did not hesitate and did not retreat, Joshua, Deborah the prophetess, and King David, and the underground fighters, the IDF, and the security forces, they took hold of the sword and shield for Israel's destiny, and you follow in their footsteps. In all my meetings with you in the last few weeks, I was deeply impressed by the depth of your spirit, by the spirit of victory, as it is said in the Bible, for you have girded me with strength for the battle. You have, uh, you have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Netanyahu, there I got to interject. Netanyahu is citing Psalm 1840 in that passage. As I send you on a mission, our dear heroes, I am confident of our complete victory over our enemies. Together with all the people of Israel, I trust you, I'm proud of you, and I love you. May the Almighty cause the enemies who rise up against us to be struck down before them. May the Holy One, and blessed is He, preserve and rescue our fighters from every trouble and distress and from every plague and illness. And may he send blessing and success in their every endeavor. May he lead our enemies under our soldiers' sway, and may he grant them salvation and crown them with victory. Be strong, embrace victory, for with God's help, together we will win. Shabbat Shalom, Benjamin Netanyahu. Gee, Bibi, could you come over here and uh, run for president, maybe? I, I love this speech. I mean, it's, it's the interweaving of everything past and present, the, the current strife and struggle, but with the words of God coming from a leader, not a pastor, not a Bible school teacher, as, as important as they are, this is coming from the prime minister of the nation of Israel. They see no difference between, or at least he doesn't, the secular and the, and the religious, the faith and the, the ways, the faith of the, of, the, of the nation, at least as exemplified by him, because there's many that don't believe, even in the Torah and Israel, but the faith of the leader combined with this understanding of history of the, of, the, of the Old Testament, in this case, of course, and with the present challenges before them, my goodness. Uh, you, you know, and, and compare this. What do, you, what do you compare this to? The Muslims are all terrorists. They're, all, they, they're killing. They're, the Muslims kill. They want to conquer. They, they're nice to a point, and when they get to the point that they can finish the job with force, they will finish the job with force, and that includes here in the United States. I'm also thankful that there are many Muslims who are getting saved. And it seems like 
knowing the hardness of their heart, which is actually an incredible devotion to their faith, right? An incomplete faith, a wrong faith, but their devotion has to be admired to some sense. Their commitment exceeds that of many Christians and Jews to their respective faiths. It really does. But knowing how deeply committed they are to the wrong thing, God knowing that, like Paul, as deeply, zealously committed to jailing and killing Christians, God went above, beyond and above in reaching Paul, and he frequently does in reaching Muslims, above and beyond. The visions, the dreams, the personal encounters that they have with Jesus in a dream and in a vision and to be radically saved. It takes that. It takes that Paul on the road to Damascus kind of experience to reach him. But trust me, they need to know that they know that they know that they know that they heard from the Lord of the universe, the one who by whom and only by whom we can be saved because they know why that turning to Jesus as Messiah, they have a potentially hellish road on this earth inside their own families, their own cities, their own countries, and certainly inside their own mosque, which maybe they don't go to anymore. Who knows? It's rough. It's tough. It's bad. And God seals them so strongly by such visions that, oddly enough, some of the greatest evangelists in this in that part of the world are without question former Muslims who've had that kind of visitation. And they are huge, enormous targets. Okay, enough of that, but man alive. Uh, I, loved, I loved doing that piece. Okay, next. Um, 30 seconds on this one because we're... We, we are done with the good news, and we're going to get to a couple pieces, and then we're going to go to the a debate debrief. Billions, not millions, billions. You got that number? Of residual DNA has now been defined or de- identified, sorry, in a single dose of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Billions of copies of residual DNA, the thing that Pfizer and all those other liars, Moderna, said is not in there. Lying through every orifice of their corporate body. Next. i got to cover this before we launch into the campaign part of it, of what's going on, um, and why the... Debate is important. All two things here. Let me fit these in here before the break. Biden is now telling schools around the whole country to stock up on Narcan because of surging youth fentanyl deaths. Right? So this is Joey No Brains Corn Pop. I'm your left-wing puppet, Biden, who could reduce these deaths if this if this guy would close the border. But as he closed the border, no. 
The answer is let all the fentanyl come in, and then we'll distribute Narcan to every school around the country. And I will look like the big hero because I'm fighting the, the fentanyl crisis. Oh, my gosh. You know what? This is... Do I have a good analogy? I'm fighting for a good analogy. No, actually, I don't have a good analogy. Uh, and I guess I don't need one. What more needs to be said? And Narcan, so that we're going to have everybody running around with cans of Narcan? I don't think so. You're going to stick that in your purse, ladies? Am I going to carry that in my back pocket? The fact of the matter is Narcan has to be used right away, right away, very, very, very quickly, or it's useless. The guy's dead. The girl's dead. But this is Joey Cornpop's means by which he thinks he can look like the hero to fight the Narcan, the fentanyl problem, which he still tries to blame incredulously against Donald Trump. Sheesh. Well, okay, let's move on. I'm going to go on to the debate. The debate is important. The debate is very, very important that we had the other night because, well, a couple of reasons here, actually. The, the first thing is, of course, it would help identify who might be Trump's running mate. But more importantly, it will help people identify who they would want in place of Trump if Trump is dead, if Trump is injured, severely wounded, if Trump has a disease, if he's in jail. Who knows? I will still say what I said six months ago. I think I don't, still don't think Donald Trump is going to make it to the finish line. I mean, I hope he does, but I don't think he will. I just, just, I, I hope I'm wrong. And I will say what I said six months ago that I, I thought Gavin Grusom will be the Democratic candidate. And I said uh, in early June that I thought Grusom would, in fact, be president. And he will certainly beat Donald Trump. I don't think there's any question about it. Trump can't debate well. He's a lousy debater. Grusom is an excellent debater. Now, the reason I think that, and among other things, uh, it's a sad commentary why Gruesome has that chance is because of a very recent poll that had nothing to do with him. Nothing. It, if you know Dwayne Johnson, and I do not know him well, but he's an actor from, I don't know what it was. I, I don't know. I don't watch any current movies, but he's popular. Fairly handsome guy, well-dressed, fairly articulate. Uh, he voted for B.O., Obama, both times. He endorsed uh, Biden. But he's also supported some Republican candidates, probably rhinos. Uh, he has spoken at, at various Republican events, probably just because of his popularity. No one really knows anything, fundamentally anything, about where he stands about anything. And yet, in a recent poll, a verifiable, legitimate poll, 46% of the people said they would vote for Dwayne Johnson for president. Can you believe that? You don't know jack about the person. You don't know shinola about the guy, about what he really stands for. But, oh, we like this. He speaks well. He's a famous movie. Blah, blah, blah. Are we that stupid? 
Are we that materialistic? Are we that worldly in this country? The answer is yes. I call it the JFK effect. The guy was kind of charming. He was handsome. He got a lot of people that voted for him who didn't know diddly about what he actually really truly stood for. And if you got 46% right now that would vote for him, don't know anything about him, this is what concerns me about this upcoming election and my, my sense that we are too far gone to avoid end up having Gavin Gruesome as a president. But I want I, my identification was Arnold Schwarzenegger. I never supported Schwarzenegger. He was a rhino at best. He was the worst Republican history uh, governor in California history, and he was worse than every single Democrat governor, with the exception of the per, the present occupant of the office, Gavin Grusom. But they said, "Oh, he's a Republican, the Terminator." I'll be back. Who cares? That's what I'm afraid of, Arnold. Is you'll be back. Relatively handsome, physically fit, famous, blah, blah, blah. Let's vote for this guy and not vote for the guy who's actually really righteous and could do something for the state of California by the name of Tom McClintock, for whom I voted. But that was Republicans that were starstruck. This is why we've got serious problems, and we're gonna, we are going to break this debate down, why it is important that you know sooner rather than later, who would be the successor to Donald Trump. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Lincolns was setting the pace? That story is true, I'm here to say. I was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up. That Model A body makes it look like a pup. It's got eight cylinders and uses them all. Got overdrive, just won't stall. We are back. This is Robin Walter with the Robin Walter Show. Glad to uh, rejoin you here. Love that song. I sometimes get lost in, in the music I pick out. And why do I pick it out? Because I like it. That's about all there is. Although sometimes the songs actually relate to the topic of the day. That one does not. Anyway, to the debate. Why are we doing this? Because we don't know whether Trump's going to be around. But people need to be knowing who would be the logical candidate to replace him or to join him. Five people are on the debate stage. In my opinion, there are only three survivors, Christie, Haley, and Ramaswamy. Now, I say that not because I dislike Ron DeSantis or dislike Tim Scott. I like both of them a lot. 
But this is the deal. If I if you if somebody other than Biden is running, which like I said, you you know I think it's going to be Gavin Grusom. Only three of those five on that stage could handle a debate effectively with the tall, dark, handsome, charismatic Gavin Grusom. Ron DeSantis can't. And he's scheduled to debate Grusom November 30th on Fox News by Sean, Sean Hannity moderating it. I've said this before. There was not a worse political move for Ron DeSantis than to debate Gavin Grusom at this point in time. If DeSantis makes it to that part, and, the, and, and his, his support is waning, I like him. He's a great governor. He's not the next president. If he's not finished off by November 30th, Gavin Grusom will not only finish him off, and, and DeSantis' campaign will be nothing but dust and ashes, but he'll also have actually materially participated in elevating the worst possible candidate on the Democrat side and give him the legitimacy of a nationally televised debate. All this, all this can do is help Gruesome. All it can do is hurt DeSantis. But DeSantis is out as far as I'm concerned anyway. Tim Scott, I like him. But only three could debate Gruesome and hold even and maybe win it. Uh, anybody, any, uh, Trump will lose a debate against Gruesome. Anybody, all five of them, plus Trump, any one of them could defeat Biden. That's a no-brainer. I mean, goodness, my six-year-old grandson could beat Joe Biden in a debate. And I'm serious. So let's just break this down. Scott, I like this guy. Nice guy. Great story. He just doesn't resonate with a measure of passion that is required to make it to the finish line. But we need him in the Senate. He's a good senator. And he needs to stay there and occupy till another president comes. Okay, DeSantis. Okay, another good guy. Great policies. He's done a great job in Florida. But he doesn't resonate. He's quirky. He's awkward and he's uncomfortable up there. I mean, you know that he's uncomfortable with himself if he's got to put lifts in his shoes to look taller. I mean, the only person that I, persons I know that do that were Prince and um, who is a guy, uh, uh, Valley, uh, you know, the uh, singer for the Four Seasons, that little guy. Anyway, it's beside the point. But I was going to say Rudy Valley, but that's uh, not obviously not right. And it's irrelevant. But he's uncomfortable with himself. He is not. It shows up there. You know, he can't even smile naturally. It's forced. He looks like a five-year-old who, for the first time, is ha- is having his picture taken. And he's got to put up a smile. And this fake smile, like, say, cheese, it's, it, it's a five-year-old smile. Everything is stilted. I, I, I just cringe at this upcoming debate. 
but he just needs to stay in Florida. I like the guy, but he could not win a debate. And his mannerisms will distract from anything and everything positive and good that he has to say. There is nothing particularly affectionate about him in the sense that you're drawn to say, hey, this is a guy I'd like to have as my brother. There's nothing wrong with him from a general standpoint. He can't make it to the finish line. And sadly, neither can Scott. So only Christy Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy could hold their own against Gruesome. As I said, Trump will lose. All four of them could beat Michelle Obama. And now I want to break down the other three, starting with Christy, Haley, and then Ramaswamy. Okay, uh, Christy is not my guy. And I did say at one point, if he were the candidate and RFK Jr. was a Democratic candidate, that might be the one time I would vote for a Democrat, but not any longer. For two reasons. RFK Jr. went down the tubes when he came out in full-throated support, as much as he can be full-throated, for reparations. Disqualifier. He, He got eliminated, and I was glad he did that because... Uh, coming out in support of reparations means he might take some voting support, might get support from Democrats more likely than Republicans. Before he said that, there's a greater probability he was going to detract from Republican support and certainly from independent support, but now he's going to hurt Joe Biden. So the media is going even further out of the way to make sure that he gets no airtime, and Biden's going out of the way to make sure he doesn't get Secret Service support. Because secretly, I think Biden would like yet another candidate to get axed, another Kennedy to get axed. And the second reason is Christie did a better job. Christie's an excellent debater. I'll give him that. I think he's also fundamentally, fundamentally a rhino. But I am at that point where any one of these five, or let's say any one of those six, let's include Trump, but any one of these five, I would vote for heartily and support over any Democrat. So let me just make that clear. I've got my pecking order, but I'm going to take any one of them over any Democrat. So Christie, though, he he is a fabulous debater. He was an excellent prosecutor, and he could win. Uh, He needs to do a couple of things. He needs to knock off the anti-Trump litany. Just shut up. Because he doesn't realize that if he could actually actually end up rising in the polls uh, and then something happens to Trump, like I said before, he may be seen as, uh, as a never-Trumper, and now we are screwed and we get a Democrat for president. But he also needs to be more trustworthy. He needs to be also more trustful and truthful on the air. He, he made a slam. He just, had one, he just wanted to slam Trump. And he said uh, Trump had two chances to do something about TikTok, and he didn't. Twice he could have done it. Well, the reality is twice Trump did attempt to do something about TikTok, but he got struck down each time by a federal court. So, uh, so DeSantis just was not – I'm just DeSantis – Christie was not truthful about that. The other thing was he made a great point about the greatest deterrent against China would be these nuclear-powered subs to have them in the China Sea. 
He actually answered the question of Hugh Hewitt. None of the other parties adequately answered it. And I know why, because they were not the least bit prepared for the question, and they were making it up. And when you have a question in a debate that nobody is prepared for, who has the best chance of getting their best answer? Maybe not the right answer, but the best answer. The last person to speak to that issue because they got time to think about what the heck they're going to say. So Christie had an advantage. And his answer was good, but it was very misleading because he never said nuclear delivery capability submarines. He said nuclear-powered subs. I don't care if we got nuclear-powered subs or otherwise powered. If they don't have the capability to deliver nuclear weapons, then that distinction is meaningless. And I did not hear him make that distinction, although some people just thought it was a great debate point. But as I said, he had a distinct advantage in answering that question. Now, Nikki Haley. Um, she's not my gal. She isn't. She just, she, uh, but would I take her over any Democrat? Absolutely, and I would support her strongly. But she's just not my first choice as an alternative at this point. And first of all, one of the things is very, very obvious She's ridiculously thin-skinned. Oh, my gosh, does Ramaswamy get under her skin? And she's, she's going out there with a clenched fist impersonation of Hillary plaque, practically, trying to defend herself about this or that. And Ramaswamy's comment about her daughter being on TikTok was a very fair comment. People think it was, it was a below-the-belt comment. It was not. She's out there talking about shutting down TikTok while her daughter uses it. All Ramaswamy was pointing out was the fact that she's a hypocrite. Without using the word hypocrite, he just said, well, then why why is your daughter using TikTok if you're so against it? He pointed out the hypocrisy. She couldn't stand it. She ended up calling him scum, which he is not. He's got guts. He's sharp. He's smarter than she is. Interesting, two native Indians going at it, going at each other. They're both Indian nationality. But I I just found that interesting. But she's thin-skinned. Second of all, I don't like the fact that because she spent so much time at the UN, she is a she's a war hawk. She's part of the military industrial complex and her support for the Ukraine war is over the top. And I don't like that. Only Ramaswamy gets it right on the Ukraine war and he's the only one of any candidate including Trump, frankly, Trump finally has kind of come around because of Ramaswamy. But I also have to make a confession here. I will, when I, I'm going to convey, I don't know if it's my own personal misogynistic uh, thoughts. Well, I don't know. You be the judge. I don't dislike her because she's a woman, by no means. Because I was a big fan of Michelle Bachman. I mean, I knew her well in law school. We were good friends. She was a real deal. And she also can be tough, but without an attack dog persona. And what I saw and my thought, and I mentioned this to my wife, I said, gosh, my thought about, and this goes back to the second debate, but underscored in this debate was, I sure am glad she's not my wife. But I realized what I was doing. 
I was uh, merging the personality with the policy, and that's a mistake. But I have better understood now my own concerns about Gavin Grusom and the JFK uh, uh, imagery, if you will, the paradigm, that maybe there are women who would look at, I understand this, they would ignore the policies of Donald Trump, that he's the best modern-day president that we've ever that we've had, and come to the conclusion, goodness sakes, I sure wouldn't like him as my husband. And that's the extent of their extent of their analysis. So I found myself in that position. She's got she's got an attack dog. I guess what it is there there there's a certain element of femininity that she's lacking. But maybe I don't know. Maybe you got to be a little bit more like Margaret Thatcher if you're gonna if you're gonna battle it out. There's some things I so totally disagree with her on, and. I don't think that she's sharp. She's quick on the debate side, but this thin skin portion of her uh, could be her undoing. I think she's a piece of milk toast when it comes to abortion and some other policies. But that cutthroat behavior just sort of gets to me, which takes me to one other comment before I try to wrap up this portion of the program. Ronald Reagan. Okay, Ronald Reagan was probably the only Republican that I, certainly in my lifetime, but that I otherwise would know of, that you had women that were his age, which was older, who, pro- who probably thought he would be a wonderful husband. And there were, as a generation below that, that would have said, my gosh, he would have been a wonderful father, or he would be a wonderful father. And two generations down, I would say, you know what? He'd be a wonderful grandfather. He resonated across all age groups of females. And it was, he happened to have, by and large, really great policies. But they were combined with a persona that just came that he was the he was the last person in the world that anybody should fear. Of course they tried to call him Ronald Reagan, that he would he was a warmonger, but he wasn't. He was he was tough, but he was calm. He was occasionally full throated, but very rarely. His persona was that of this is the pers- this is the kind of temperament I'd like in a president. Which, of course, means absolutely nothing if it's not not combined with the right policies. So you have to have the policy and the persona to be have the greatest probability of getting elected. So now we're down to Ramaswamy. I, I like this guy. You've heard me extol his high points. I love his guts. He's young. I like that. Somewhat inexperienced, but he's more experienced in some ways than many of the others. Consider something. Of the six that are remaining, DeSantis, Scott, Haley, and Christie are now really, truly career politicians. We only have two 
businessmen, business people, if you will, in the mix. Trump and Ramaswamy. What I was hoping Vivek would say when it came up on the issue of economics, when he talked about running companies, he had something else he could have said. I wish he would say. He said, I'm the only one on this stage that's had to balance a budget to deal with it and make those financial critical decisions. Now, everybody else would say, well, we, we had to deal with the budgetary issues uh, as governor and as, uh, well, that would be Christy Haley um, and DeSantis, to which Ramaswamy's response would be this. I feel like writing him and telling him this. Yes, but the difference between all you guys and me is you were trying to balance the budget and making decisions all with other people's money. My experience comes with working with my own money and making decisions based on that, just like President Trump. That would be a great line, but I like his guts. He, he, without question, all across the Democrat and Republican board, he's the smartest guy there. Now, that's not worth anything if your policies are garbage. But he's obviously the most anti-woke, anti-swamp, anti-rhino person up there, anti-establishment, probably even more so than Donald Trump. And the rhinos hate him. The rhinos that are writing about this have tried to bury him in this debate um, analysis. But so is the left. So is the left trying to bury him. And why? Because they are afraid of him. He could, he could cream Gruesome or anybody else in a debate. He could appeal to younger voters. And there's an old saying that if the enemy of your enemies... Oh, no, wait, i got to get this right. The enemy of your enemies... No, the enemies of your enemy. i got to... Rob, get prepared here. The enemies of your enemy are your allies. So if the left hates him because they're afraid of him, very afraid of him, then what does that tell you about what he could do to the present Democrat juggernaut that's in power right now? Robert Navi said something I loved writing. He writes for Breitbart. He said, Vivek Ramaswamy threw a right hook that had the Republican National Convention, the media, and career politicians on the mat. I'm sure there are many of us at home who would only love for America to, to succeed and may have jumped up and down our seats and cheered for him. But someone was finally willing to expose what many of us have been waiting for, the GOP, to admit and put on their big boy pants and passionately call out the hypocrisy and incompetence that presently exists on both sides. Ramaswamy did just that. And he compared him to Mike Tyson, which was an interesting comparison. He said Tyson didn't dink around for eight or nine rounds before he punched somebody out. He came out in the first round and wanted to take him out ASAP, which is what Ramaswamy did when he went savage, as World Net Daily described, goes savage on the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, and NBC as well. I mean, goodness sakes. Uh, 
he, the response was explosive. I mean, he said, quote, quoting him, he said, I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here, and I'm upset about what's happening here tonight. We've become a party of losers. Let's speak the truth. Ronna McDaniels took over as chairwoman in 2017, and we've done nothing but lose since then. And she was not a support, a, a, a Trump person, but she took over in 2017. And Ramaswamy flipped the script on the debate side moderators and began questioning the decision to have far-left NBC host a Republican debate. All of us have wondered, why the heck are we doing this? So Ramaswamy said, frankly, look at the people here cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. It should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that the GOP primary voters actually care about. And how about Kristen Welker here? Do you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? So why are we having here her here at a Republican debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Chris, I'm going to use this time because it's actually about you and the media and the corrupt media. You, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? This is how we got to get our country back. We need accountability because the media rigged that election. They rigged the 2020 election with a Hunter Biden laptop story, and they're going to rig this. My goodness, go get him. I love that. He had the guts. He may kill it. Be, he may be killing his own career because now the rhinos hate him and the left hates him. But the Trump lovers will actually like him if there isn't Trump around. This sent in by a listener in California that I need to quote because I think it just fits here. Quote, Trump is a wrecking ball. Trump destroyed multiple Republican political dynasties, shattered GOP neocon ideology, and tossed the old guard to the wind. The Bushes, the Cheneys, the Romneys, and the McCains don't even hide the fact that they are de facto Democrats. From the perspective of the traditional GOP, Trump's real crime was pulling back the curtains on the Uniparty. End quote. And what's the Uniparty? The one party, the establishment, the deep state, which is embraced by rhino Republicans and all Democrats. And so I would just say, whether you like him or not, Ramaswamy is by far the most Trump-like candidate there is. I mean, I am ready, willing, able to support, full-throated support for Donald Trump if he's a candidate. If he's not, Anyone that I talked about today, I would give full support for. Christy, Haley. I know it was Trump or, or DeSantis or Scott, for that matter, and Ramaswamy as president. But we need to be looking at who could be the replacement for Trump. Who could be the replacement? Who would be a vice presidential candidate? And I have to tell you that my first choice is still Vivek Ramaswamy. I like the guy. He's learning from his mistakes. He could do a lot for returning the party to the purity upon which it was formed by Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I'll take the others, but he's my first, he's my first second choice. 
God bless you. Remember, sit tall in the saddle, America. You ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. And we will see you next week. We got a tail.